Let's bow in a word of prayer together. God, all we need is you. God, I know that you hear the cries of our heart. You know the anxiety, the fears that we carry. You know the worry and the burdens. God, I pray we'd lift those all up to you. That you give us the strength to take the next step. In those times when life's good, that we're running hard and we think we've got the world by the tail, Lord, I pray that we'd lean on you, that we'd still look to you for guidance. God, we give you the praise, we give you the glory. This stand every day. Amen. Last week, uh, we looked at the game Balderdash. I asked, how many of you have played that? I didn't have a whole lot, but it is a classic game of, of bluffing. And, and basically, truth is secondary. You kind of create your own answers. Uh, if you're really good at making up things that are believable, you win the game. And uh, that, that kind of sets us up in life, you know, last week we talked a little bit uh, about this, and I want to kind of bring you on board because I'm going to build on what we talked about last week. But I talked about the fact that too many of us have taken this game of make it up as you go, this balderdash mentality, and we've applied it to life. You know, the fact is, because of that mentality uh, of making things up, our values as a society, our morals, are declining, and I suggested to you that it affects everything in our lives. It affects politics, it affects business, sports, academia, entertainment, it affects your family, it even affects the church, this kind of balderdash mentality, and it has become so popular that I would argue that a lot of times people don't know right from wrong anymore. There's kind of a new code that has been embedded in our society, and it goes something like this. What's true for you may not be true for me. And what's right for you may not be right for me. And it's given birth to this kind of uh, postmodernism or relativism, as we talked about last week. And because of that worldview, basically, I can do whatever I want to do. There's no accountability. It kind of lets me off the hook to do as I please in my life. And that's a dangerous game. And the consequences have been what we talked about last week of this truth decay. You know, things, things like uh, you see people and people are more immature. And by immature, what I mean is they don't take responsibility for themselves. That that's one of the signs of truth decay in a society. Another one's immorality, which simply means no morals anymore. That when right and wrong does not exist, then basically anything goes. We can do whatever we want. And when you start believing that, it kind of segues into a total disconnect from reality. And this is where things get really fuzzy. You see, we start blurring the lines. And it's that sense of, I know I shouldn't do this. But oh well. 
In other words, we, we push across uh, the, these lines in our life. And friends, if you do it enough times and you push your way across, pretty soon you're going, you know what? I'm okay doing this. It's not that bad anyway, is it? And society says, no, it's not. Keep going. And as that mentality kind of gains a foothold in society, pretty soon things get turned upside down. Right becomes wrong. Wrong becomes right. Good things are seen as bad, and bad things become good. It all gets flipped around, and pretty soon you find that society begins to idolize things that are kind of twisted, kind of messed up. It's what captures our our attention. And when that happens, the effect on our values and priorities is significant. And I believe if you stay on that path long enough, you will find a society that pretty soon persecutes things that are good and celebrates and idolizes those things that are wrong. And at, start, at some point, society, at some point, you and I, if we stay on that path long enough, we make fun of ideas when people say, well, that's right and this is wrong. So last week we looked at kind of the signs of truth decay. And what I want to do this week is kind of identify, how do you know what's true in life? You ever ask yourself that? I mean, how do I know what's true? Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. That's a powerful verse. Truth sets you free. Freedom comes from knowing what's true in life. In fact, I would argue that the more truth you have in your life, the freer you are. You're freer in your spirit, you're freer in your life, you're freer in your family, in your vocation, or whatever. If you understand truth and you apply it, things get easier in life. Not simple, but easier. The flip side is if you turn your back on truth, life becomes very complicated. It will trip you up. In fact, you will find that ultimately you forfeit your freedom and you become entangled in a web called life. It'll mess you up. So how do you know what's true? You know, where do you go? What are sources of truth? And that's what I want to hit today. One of them's creation. Creation, just a simple look at creation, you can learn a lot of truths. Today you could leave here and just go for a walk and learn a lot about God. You could learn a lot about truth. You know, that's why I'll talk often that science is really important to us because it helps us understand how things work. It helps us understand the intricacies of of our universe. It helps us understand truth. It also understand truths about God. You know, Romans 1.20 says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal powers, his divine nature... Here he goes, have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has been made. So people are without excuse. In other words, we can look around us. Just take a walk, use your eyes, look around, and very quickly you figure out things. Like one of the things I noticed right away is God likes variety. Have you noticed that? You know, look down your row. Some of you are going, God's humorous, you know. <laughs> you know. But God likes variety. 
I, I say it often. You are the one and only you that will ever be. You're one of a kind. You're fearfully made. You and no one will ever be like you. God doesn't want us to be alike. He gets bored with sameness. You know, go to the zoo sometime. You know, there, do you know there are over 60,000 different kinds of beetles in the world? I mean, you got John and Paul and Ringo and George and a lot of other ones. 60,000. That screams God likes variety in life. Another thing, when you look at nature, you realize God's powerful. You know, I was watching the storm come in. By the way, pray that we get like four days with no rain so we can get our parking lot put in. But uh, who would think in July and August you couldn't get four days in a row? But uh, God's powerful. You know, you ever seen a volcano, an earthquake, a tornado? God is powerful. God's strong. Just a simple walk. I learned God's creative. He likes diversity. God's powerful. Also know that God's very organized, very organized. In fact, if you study the human body or you study the world or the universes, you will realize how intricate it is. You'll realize that there's an ecosystem set up in our, our world, that it is a very delicate balance in everything. I mean, it is staggering to me when I think about how everything is connected to one another. You know, look at how the earth sits on its axis. It's just perfect so that you and I can live, so that human beings can live on this planet. And if it was shifted just a fraction one way, we'd all freeze to death. If it was shifted the other way, we'd burn up. Friends, it's not an accident. God designed. You know, I mean, when, when you understand the planets, when you understand the human body, the, the galaxy, I think about things like DNA, as we understand this stuff, I don't know about you, but I just go, wow, God, amazing. You know, you take a look at, at biology or physics, you learn about God in the process. And I want to state something, because I think there's kind of a myth out there. There are no contradictions between discoveries of science, hear me carefully here, discoveries of science and faith. There are none. Now, there are contradictions with unproven scientific theories and faith, but that's a whole different story. But science continues to uphold who God is. You know, God designed the, the laws of physics before there were ever a, a professor teaching. You know, when, it, when I drop something, what happens? It falls, right? It goes down. It doesn't go up, it goes down. Why? Because of a law called what? Gravity. Now, a thousand years ago, we didn't know that gravity existed. But it was there anyway, right? We discovered that truth, but it had always been true. You know, Romans 1.19 says, The basic reality of God is plain. Plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. Look around. Nature screams that there is a designer. You know, and I know some people deny that, but I think the real issue has to do with if there is a designer, then I've got to change something in my life. 
In other words, it impacts how I live if I acknowledge that. But you can know a lot by just simply looking at nature, looking at creation. You also can know truth through a thing called conscience. You know, how many of you have got one of those? I mean, it is something hardwired in us that God placed in us. And somehow there are things we know that are right and things that we know are wrong. No matter what anybody tells us, deep in our hearts, in our minds, you never had to have read the Bible even. But your conscience will will tell us things, will guide us. Paul writes this in in Romans. He says, even the Gentiles, he's talking about people outside of, of God's plan at that point or outside of God's what was recognized as spiritual people in that day. He says, even the Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. See, there it is, conscience. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. Several years ago, Cindy and I, we were in Chicago, and uh, we were close to where I went to school. And uh, when, I, when I was in school up there, I noticed there were always lots and lots of geese up there. So we're in the Oak Brook area. We're driving Butterfield, which is a main thoroughfare, you know, six lanes wide of, of highway, traffic everywhere. One day we're driving, traffic's at a standstill. Nobody's moving. Up a few rows in front of us where we were, these geese are walking across. This is no joke. Single file, like a little army. They're marching across Butterfield. All this traffic, hundreds of cars are stopped, dead. Now, horns were honking. Geese were honking. Traffic wasn't moving, but the geese were moving. And... I would argue to to you that there was a conscience at work. In fact, I believe if I could have stopped the people, especially the ones in that front row, but I imagine if I could have stopped people and asked them, why did you stop? You know, why did you wait? Why didn't you just plow through them? I guess I would have heard something like, well, it just didn't seem right. Now, don't misunderstand me. Accidents happen and all that. But I think people genuinely said, you know, I just had to wait a a few minutes. You know, conscience, conscience. It doesn't matter where you're at on this planet. People come to the same conclusions about things. You do not have to be a Christian. You do not even have to be spiritual to instinctively know that there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong in life. Again, God ordained, placed in you a thing called conscience. I saw an interview with a guy, a criminal, got, got arrested, had been on the run for years. And as they were interviewing him, what struck me was that he was actually relieved. You know, he made a comment. He says, I'm really glad I got caught because the guilt's been eating me up. Where did that come from? Conscience. Now, there's a problem with conscience 
And that is, it's unreliable sometimes. It's easy to skew it uh, because your, your conscience can get weakened. Uh, it can get twisted and warped and hardened. And ultimately, I believe if you step across those lines enough times, you just destroy it. You know, that's what I would say about someone like Hitler. I think he killed his conscience over time, and then nothing bothered him. And the more you violate that conscience, the more out of kilter life becomes. Do something enough times, it gets easier and easier. True? Until finally it just doesn't bother you anymore. When, when the alarm, that conscience alarm, kicks in, you know how that goes, right? First time it's pretty loud. Second time it's a little softer. At some point, if you quit hearing that alarm, it still doesn't mean that what you're doing is right or wrong. You know, some, some things are just hardwired in us. Conscience is a way to know truth. There's also truth in that what I would call consideration. God gave you a mind, use it. Remember the, the commercial they used to have? It says, a mind is a what? Terrible thing to waste. It's terrible. Truth is knowable. Truth is something you can get, not just by faith. I mean, you can test it. You can experiment with it. You can play with it. You can prove it. Truth is intelligent. You can observe it, like gravity. If I drop something, you go, oh, I just tested it. It's, it works. It's real. You know, if I uh, decided to leave here and go to Memphis, you know, that's where I was born. And so I'm going to head down there. I'd have to follow a map. Haven't been down there for ages. But if I follow the map, it'll get me there. And if I were to take that trip several times, hopefully I wouldn't need the map every time, but what I would come to know is that the tr that map is true. It works. I follow that map. It takes me where it says it's going to take me. You know, most of my life, I followed God's word. I followed the Bible, and I found it's absolutely true that it always takes me where it says it's going to take me. Now, don't misunderstand me. I do not always like where it takes me. I do not always find it real comfortable where it takes me. But what I have found is it's absolutely true. It has never taken me somewhere that it didn't tell me it was going to take me in my life. God gave you a mind. God gave you a brain. And I want to suggest part of us understanding truth is we've got to use it. We've got to use it. And sometimes we want stuff so simple. You know, people will come up and they'll say, you know, why didn't God make it really simple? You know, like write it in the sky or something. Well, I would argue he has. He's given you a brain. He's given you the intelligence to engage and to think through. And the problem is that we just don't slow down sometimes. We don't slow down long enough to consider where we're at to consider where we're going. We just kind of drift through life, uh, you know, never really thinking about what, what am I doing, where am I heading, where am I going. You know, Proverbs 4, 26 says, Ponder the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Think. Schedule some time to think about what you're doing in life. Proverbs 14, 15 says, Fools will believe anything, but the wise think about what they do. 
Now, I know things get complicated because people will come and they'll say, well, how do I know when I'm listening to somebody teach that, you know, that's true, that they're teaching truth? Uh, well, there's several things. One, I would say to you, does it square with God's word? And I'm going to talk about that more because I'm making some presumptions in that. But that's, that's first and foremost in my mind. That's a good test point. But there are a couple other things that I think you can do to kind of test out, you know, is what someone's saying true or or not. And that is look at their lifestyle, for one. Does what they say match up with what they're doing? You know, is that person living what they teach? In other words, check it out. You know, I've said before, never study a philosophy, whatever that philosophy is, without knowing the biography of that philosopher. Parents, you ought to teach your kids this. This is, this is hardcore, pays off in high dividends. Because what I've found as I've looked at philosophers and, and people offering different ways to live your life is many of them, the supposed greats, were basket cases in their lives. It did not work in their life. Some of the great, great ones committed suicide went insane and i'll be honest with you just quick deduction i go they went insane i want to follow the same philosophy i mean that end result that's not good that's not good you know for instance uh nietzsche he said god is dead now do you know how his life ended he went insane he went crazy now don't misunderstand me it doesn't mean that you cannot read through or go, hmm, that's an interesting perspective, but, but think about their biography. Sigmund Freud committed suicide. I was reading uh, Paul Vitt's uh, psychologist. He wrote the book uh, Faith of the Fatherless, and he studied a 100 of the most famous atheists that have lived in, in the last couple hundred years. And he wanted to see if there was anything in common between those men and women. And what he found was they all hated their fathers. Every one of them hated their fathers, either because their father had abandoned them or rejected them, or there were a few that their father had died when they were children, and they were angry that their dad left them. And you think about it, I mean, this is just me thinking, my opinion, it's easy to understand if they hated their father that they'd kind of reject Christianity and the idea of a God because, you know, we talk about our father in heaven and that it would just be an easy transfer. My point, okay, is never accept a belief without looking at the lifestyle behind it. If it didn't work in their life, you probably don't need to waste your time with it. Matthew 7, Jesus was talking about beware of false teachers. And he says, you can detect them by the way they act, just as you can tell a tree by its fruits. In other words, look at the fruit, look at the fruit. Talk is cheap, look at the fruit. You know, watch out for for charisma. You know, three of the most charismatic leaders in the last hundred years. Mao, Stalin, Hitler, extreme charismatic individuals, evil individuals, responsible for millions 
of people dying and being slaughtered. Look at the lifestyle. Look at the lifestyle. And I know you go, we get it, we get it. Why are you pressing this? Well, I'll tell you why I'm pressing it, because as a leader and as a teacher, I care deeply about this. I have watched too many people go down paths that are very dark, that have messed them up, that in some cases have cost them everything. Just because someone said, oh, I'm from God, or this is what God would have us do. Got to look at lifestyle. The other thing you need to do is listen to God's spirit when you're listening to an idea. You know, John 14, Jesus said this. He says, the Father will give you another helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit there. Who will stay with you forever. He is the spirit who reveals the truth about God. In other words, what I want to suggest to you is if you've got an idea on the table, you're thinking about something, someone said something, and you go, hmm, I wonder if that's true. Ask God. You know, turn to the Holy Spirit and say, is this person teaching truth? Because what God will do is confirm that, or he'll disturb you at that point where you go, I don't know, I need to check this out further. But you can know truth by consideration, using your brain. And then one more area. This one's vital, and that's God's commands. God's words. Through what God says in in Scripture. Second Timothy says, All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out. It teaches us to do what's right. Now, I know some of you are going, Okay, if you discover truth from the Bible... How do I know the Bible's true, right? Because you've got to figure that one out quick. And there are several reasons I would offer to you that you can know that Scripture's true. One, just look at the difference it makes in people's lives, okay? Two, Jesus said it's true, so you've got a, you've got a complication if you can't, you know, it either makes Jesus a liar or not. But then you've got the external evidence and the internal evidence. And we've talked about this before, but, I mean, externally, the Bible's proven to be a a reliable historical book, for one. There have been over 25,000 archaeological studies that have substantiated or validated what's in, in the Bible. You know, archaeology, biblical prophecy, uh, historical accounts, they're all on the same page. They're all working together. I think I've shared this before, but uh, Nelson Gluck, uh, famous um, archaeologist, he said this, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discoveries have ever controverted a biblical reference. And where there are gaps or inconsistencies between history and the Bible, what we're finding is time continues to move on, those issues continue to shrink and get smaller and smaller. You know, for the trivia buffs out there, the New Testament, there are over 184,000 words in the New Testament. Scholars only have a problem with 400 words in Scripture. And those are things like grammar, spelling, you know, did we, did we translate that word correctly? But none of them are major doctrinal things. Joshua McDowell, probably a leading authority in, in the area, I mean, he started out to kind of 
disprove the Bible, but in his book, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, uh, he said this, the Bible compared with other ancient writings has more manuscript evidence than any 10 pieces of classical literature. After trying to shatter the heresy and validity of Scripture, I came to the conclusion that it is historically trustworthy. Now, how many of you have ever read uh, or heard of Aristotle, Plato? How many of you have ever read their stuff? All right. Anybody read everything? <laughs> All right. How many of you have read Cliff Notes? <laughs> you know, I mean, here's the deal. Their history, their reliability, and their accuracy, nobody's ever questioned it. And there were only... Ten ancient documents that can be found that were written within X amount of years of their life that they can even go to to compare. The New Testament alone, there are over 14,000 copies that can be compared to one another. And, and I know you're going, well, what's, what's that really mean? Well, it means that one of the urban myths out there is that the Bible, as it got passed down from generation to generation, the things got changed. It got translated different. The people didn't like what something said, so they switched it. And the fact is that that's absolutely not true. The, the fact that there are 14,000 documents proves that it stayed the same through the years because they're able to go back and go, there we go. It matches up. The external evidence of things like uh, archaeology, you know, cities, peoples, places, you know, is, is confirming. In fact, I find it humorous. Uh, there are hundreds of examples I could use, but where historians have said, you know what, the Bible's probably wrong here. It is incorrect, you know. This is what history proves. And they've had to come back hundreds of times and say, whoops, we were wrong. Bible was right. Never have we had to go, oh, Bible's wrong. Historians are right. It continues to prove itself out. And like I said, I could fill the whole morning with examples. But one of, one of them, uh, they, they were saying, well, you know, the Bible's wrong when it says Solomon. I mean, Solomon was a king, but Solomon did not have horses. People did not have horses in that day. And they stood their ground. They said, it's ridiculous. They keep saying he's got all these horses. They didn't have them. That was till they dug up Megiddo. Guess what they found? Horse stables. And not just one horse stable, thousands of horse stables. They had to go, oh, sorry, we were wrong. Bible's right. External evidence, friends, we could just talk about time and time again where God's word continues to show itself. History, archaeology, it's, it's staggering. It screams that God's word can be trusted. There's also internal evidence. If you read through scripture, you get a lot of uh, eyewitness accounts that would have been challenged in their day, but, but it wasn't. Why? Because it matched up. You know, eyewitness accounts, not second party, not third party. Eyewitness stuff. You know, in a court of law, if you were trying to prosecute if you had two or three eyewitnesses, you have a really good chance of making your case. The Bible's full of eyewitness accounts. You know, Moses was there when the sea was divided. You know, Joshua watched the, the walls of Jericho come down. They, for years they said that wasn't true. 
archaeology did. They said, nope, never happened. And then they found Jericho one day. You know, the disciples are with Jesus in the upper room after his resurrection, you know. True, true, true. But I, let me tell you, the Bible has no shelf life. And, and what I mean is, if you leave the Bible on the shelf, it makes no difference in your life or mine. If it just sits up there. But the fact is, if you engage Scripture, you spend time in God's Word, you find that what you're able to do is figure out if something's true or if something's balderdash in life. You know, now, let's just take an idea. You run it through not one true source, not two of them, not three of them. Run it through all four of those things that we've talked about. You know, through creation, through conscience, use your brain, and then spend time in God's Word. Check it out. Run it through. You got a plan, you got a thought or something, run it through. You got creation. You go, hmm, good on that one. Then you get to your conscience. Now, you might go one of a couple ways. You go, I know this isn't right. Well, then you ought to go, balderdash. This is junk. But but maybe, maybe you're sitting there going, I don't know, it doesn't feel quite right, but I'm, I'm really not sure. So consider it. Think it through. Engage your brain. Lock in. You know, begin to ask questions. You know, maybe I just want it to be true. You know, am I trying to justify this? Am I being honest? You know, does this make sense to me? You know, would, would I want someone else to do this to me? Would I want anybody to know? And as you begin to use your brain in the process, you might determine balderdash. But maybe you're still not sure. You go through the next one. This is an important one. And this is where most people want to stop short, especially if they want to go down some road that they're on. And I want to argue this is the trustworthy place. And that is, does what you're talking about square with God's word, with the Bible? I mean, does it match up? Now, I always suggest to people, because we have a way of, uh, like, avoiding reading the parts we don't want to read, right? It's like, well, if I don't know it, then I can't be in trouble for it. Oh, no, 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 no. The fact is, need to dig. But sometimes we get a little jaded. And I would suggest another step you take is talk to a mature Christian friend. Mature Christian friend. Someone that will be honest with you and say, that doesn't square up. You know, get a second opinion. If it squares up with God's word, then you probably got a thing called truth on your hands. If in the search you find it doesn't square up, you got what? balderdash something that's not true jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will what set you free i mean god came down from heaven in human form jesus and he was the personification of truth scripture says in other words jesus is truth john 14 6 Jesus answered, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I want you to notice a couple of things. First, he says, I. 
He didn't say religion. He didn't say race or rituals or rules or regulations or the truth. He says, I am the truth. Jesus is the truth here. He says, I am. He didn't say I might be. I hope to be. I wish I could be. He says, I am the truth. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You know, he didn't say I'm some truth or one of many truths. He says, I am it. Now, this is, what, this is a statement that separates him from every other world religious leader. I mean, Muhammad, he come along and said, I'm a prophet of truth. You know, I teach truth. You've got Buddha. Buddha, he's interesting because he says, well, I'm searching for truth. And by the end of his life, he says, I'm still searching for it. And Hindu scriptures, they just say, good luck trying to find truth because it's elusive and you can hunt for it, but you're probably not going to find it. But Jesus comes along and says, I'm it. I am the truth. You can take that to the bank. And friends, that is a divisive statement. Because one, you have to do something with that statement. You either have to look at Jesus and go, you know what? He's crazy. He's a liar. He's a con man. Or you have to look at that and say, you know what? He is who he says he is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He doesn't leave any wiggle room in this one. John 3.33 says those who believe him discover that God is true. What do you do with truth? Real fast. We'll make this quick. You believe it. You've got to believe truth. The Bible says that we need to stand on it. We need to stand firmly in the midst of truth and allow it to infiltrate our lives. That leads you to the next part. Do it. Do truth. You know, it is not just an intellectual exercise. It is something you do. It's something you practice. It's something you live by. It's something you obey. You allow it to guide your path. Galatians 5, 7 following says, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. See that? Truth, freedom. Let me suggest something to you. Before you start learning new truths, start practicing the ones you already know. It'll take you a long way toward a better life. You got to do it. You got to stand for it. Don't be ashamed of truth. Do not let people beat you down when you stand for truth. Now, understand, don't be obnoxious. Do not be rude. Do not abuse people. But don't be ashamed of standing for truth in a relativistic, postmodern, balderdash, make-it-up-as-you-go society. Stand for truth even when it's not popular. Stand when it costs you. Stand when you're in the minority. But stand, you know, I talked about how do you turn the tide? How do you turn the tide in a society that is okay with, hey, make it up as you go? The only way you turn that tide is we need to be people of truth in our lives so that we can change that and then spread it, spread it. This church, Faith Fellowship, is committed 
to spread in the truth. Because why? Because truth sets people free. Truth gives people hope. Truth gives people a way. Truth gives stability in families and homes and in work environments and as a country. It does. We're committed to reaching people for Jesus Christ. Truth determines eternity. And we are committed to helping people along that walk and picking people up when we fall, when we fall for balderdash and it trips us up. Titus 2.7, close with this. Let everything you do, what's it say? Reflect your love of truth. Let everything you do, everything you say, everything, everything, reflect truth. Saturday, got prayer vigil out of, out of the church, actually Friday and Saturday. I, I hope you will take that half hour time and go out. Um, I know every time I walk in, as we've been putting things together and seeing the project through, I've said it's not about the building, it's about people. And I know God has a great future for this church and that God's going to use this church to, to mark eternity because that's all that really matters when all said and done and we need prayer as a church because if we're relying on our wisdom we're in trouble <laughs> truly even my best days need God we need God to help us to guide us continue to show us what's truth, and what we're called to do. So I hope you'll uh, take time and sign up and do that. God will bless you for it. And I just believe when two or more gather and lift up, God pays attention and goes, they're serious about this, aren't they? So let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, we praise you. And God, I thank you. You have created fearfully and wonderfully. You've given us good minds. You've given us a future. God, I thank you for your word. That, well, there are times we struggle. We're not real clear, but God, I know if we wrestle in your word and read and pay attention, that you'll give us direction. God, I thank you for that firm foundation. God, forgive us for the times we kind of do our own thing, kind of make it up as we go. God, I pray you continue to bless this church, to guide us, to be with all those that give of themselves on a regular basis, God, that um, everything we do and say would be pleasing in your sight. God, use us in a mighty way. We give you the praise. Amen.